good to be with you uh, this morning on, on such a day as this. Uh, not only a day of prayer, um, but as well even to commission those who are going out this summer. That's exciting to hear all the different countries uh, that are being represented. And we're excited what the Lord's going to do through you this summer as you go out. Good to be with you this morning. I know it's kind of the end of a week here. Just two weeks of school left for you. And Easter coming on Sunday. And I was even thinking as we were uh, singing together. Uh, what a great day today is Good Friday. To know that the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up um, on our behalf. And I was just personally just rejoicing in the fact that not only did He save us from our sins and give us everlasting life. But at the same time He seeks even to intercede for us even today and even in this last week as we've sinned and we've fallen short of even uh, what God would have. I rejoice in the fact that He forgives us. Good to be with you this morning. I want to direct our, our thoughts this morning to the book of James chapter 1. Look, look there. James chapter 1. And I, wanna, I wanted to not just come and pick anything, but kind of move where you were moving in the day, realizing that this was... A day of prayer, realizing that you have prayed this morning, have done some devotionals, have come in for chapel, looks like on the schedule there's some prayer after lunch, and realizing that you've been working your way through Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And I thought of that, that word there, trust, and I thought it's a big word. God's asking us there, through the writer of Proverbs, to trust in the Lord. And as we come into the New Testament, word that corresponds to that is the word faith. And I wanted to address that subject to you this morning. Faith. Faith. And maybe I'd like to even ask you as we begin our worship in the Word this morning, is what are you trusting God for? Not something nebulous. As you sit in your seat this morning... As you look to go home in the summer, some of you need to make money. Some of you are in the midst of trials even now. Some of you are in the midst of difficult relationship, difficult circumstances. I even know that even last night, Rick Holland's father passed away. And I was praying for him this morning as he is trusting the Lord and wanting to be used by the Lord with the, his family and his brothers and sisters. But as you sit this morning, as I come and stand before you, what are we trusting God for? And maybe I could even say as we come to James chapter 1, in the midst of trials, if you're experiencing those, what are you trusting God for? In other words, when everything falls apart all around you, what are you holding on to? What promises of God are you trusting in? I want to look at James 1 with you this morning because it talks about that aspect of faith. In fact, look with me. Let's read together James 1 and we'll read 2 through 8. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, here's the prayer, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask, and again a prayer, but let him ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And what James is doing in this section here, in James chapter 1, he's asking and answering the question, how does a Christian properly respond to trials? In other words, trials happen in our life. And he wants us to know how to respond. And what he does in James chapter 1 is he sets forth, maybe we could say, a series of principles or several principles that you must understand if you're to deal successfully with trials. He says you must understand these things if you're going to respond properly. You might even say he's asking, answering the question, how does a Christian properly respond to trials? And he wants us to understand that. And so he gives us some things. And I want to focus on 6 through 8 with you this morning. But look at verse 2. He says, if you're going to respond properly, if you're going to deal successfully, he says, first of all, you have to consider it all joy. You could say in the midst of your trials, consider it sheer, utter, absolute, pure joy. So even right now, if you're here and you're struggling with something, James says, if you want to deal successfully with what God is doing in your life, and if God's a sovereign God, and you would respond and say, He is a sovereign God, then that means that no matter what is taking place right now in your life, what James is saying through the Holy Spirit is that the first principle is He wants you to understand your response, and He wants you to respond in joy. He says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. And the word encounter means to fall into trials. In fact, it's the same word that was used when the man was coming down from the road of Jericho and the thieves, and he, was, he fell among thieves. In other words, as this man was making his way down, descending his way down, he fell among robbers. And I think there's a certain sense that trials are like that, aren't they? They happen when you don't expect them, right? They happen just at the wrong time. You know, like even this last week, you know, I just thought we were getting our finances right in order, and boom, we get in an accident. $300 deductible. I mean, of course, that's $300 that you don't plan for. And then I got a letter yesterday from 20th Century, and it said, due to your accident, you may no longer be considered on good driver discount. And I just felt like grabbing that paper. I'm like, man, I haven't got it. My last ticket was coming to a master's college basketball. Have you ever got caught coming down that hill right off Sierra? Man, I was pumped. I was late for the game. It was first quarter. And the guy was waiting in the bushes for me about four years ago. And that was my last ticket, and so I haven't had tickets, or and I get one accident, or my wife does, and here we now are going to be jacked up in that. And so, you know, it's right when you don't expect it, you fall into, and literally you can say in James 1, you're surrounded by these trials, and I think you might have heard that, that the various trials, the word various means multicolored, multifashioned. In fact, it's the same word used in the Old Testament in the Septuagint when it talked about Joseph's coat of many colors. And so James is saying, you're going to have trials, all different sizes, shapes, small ones, big ones. You're going to fall into them. And he doesn't say in verse 2, if you fall into them. He says, when you fall into them. In other words, trials are coming. And when you fall into them, they're going to be various. They're going to be multicolored. And they're going to test you. And he says, I want you to respond in joy. And then he says, why could you respond in joy? Look at the reason. Uh, In verse 3, he says, knowing. And again, it's not a knowing uh, on some facts that are obscure, but knowing internally that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He says, I want you to respond in joy because I want you to realize that when God tests you. See, do you understand that? God does test you. God does test me. 
In fact, does it not say in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, that God tested Abraham? It's amazing. He tested Abraham by, uh, by, uh, by putting Isaac before him to offer him as a sacrifice before the Lord. He tested Abraham. I think it tells us in 2 Chronicles 32 that God tested Hezekiah to see what was in his heart. In fact, it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that God tested the nation of Israel to see what was in their heart. And you know what? God's testing you even right now. And He is purposefully bringing things in your life. I didn't say tempt you. He's testing you and He's bringing things in your life for the sole purpose that you would understand that it would produce endurance. And the word endurance is that you would have perseverance. So you count it joy because God's bringing things in your life and in my life to test where our heart is to produce the quality of endurance. Isn't that a good thing? See, we're people of comfort, aren't we? We would do anything to get out of a trial or an uncomfortable situation and God does the exact opposite. He knows we would seek comfort and so He brings things in our life that are oftentimes uncomfortable. He brings trials into our life to test us, to produce endurance. And I would say, verse 4 says, are you letting endurance have its perfect result? Right now, in the midst of what you're facing, are you saying, God, thank you? Are you counting it sheer, utter joy with what God's doing in your life? Or are you holding on something? See, the thing is, is you're not going to experience what God wants you to experience or what He wants me to experience if we're not letting endurance, as it says in verse 4, have its perfect result. You say, what's the perfect result? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the reason James can say, consider it all joy, is this very purpose, that God brings trials into your life, into my life, to produce a godly endurance in our life, and the endurance is supposed to have its perfect result, and the perfect result is that you would be perfect. Now, obviously, he's not speaking about perfection there. I, this morning, had to confess sin. I'm always confessing sin, but if we say we have no sin, John 1, 9 says we're a liar. But to be perfect and be complete is to be fully mature, is what the Word is bringing out. And who was the ultimate personification of absolute maturity? Jesus Christ. So you realize that no matter what God is doing in your life right now, He's testing you for the sole purpose that you would come through it, that you would have a godly endurance, and that endurance would lead you to be more like the person of Jesus Christ. So we ought to come before God and say, Praise you, God. I can't believe you're bringing this in my life. You're making me more like Jesus Christ if you let Him have His perfect result. Let me just stop. What are you facing right now in your life? As we come to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on trust in the Lord, are you trusting the Lord in everything that's coming in your life? Or are you doubting His provision? Doubting His circumstances? Are you mad at what God's done? Are you experiencing joy and saying, God, you're in control? Or are you thinking that you have a better plan than God? See, and God brings things in our life to try us. And so often we might respond like the nation of Israel and grumble and complain and become bitter and all that stuff. And he says, no, I want you to count it all joy. And then he says, in the midst of trials, sometimes we don't understand, do we? Sometimes we go through things. And so he says in 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, that's the thing we lack in trials, isn't it? In other words, we get caught up in the forest and we're walking through the maze and we can't find our way out. And what we need in the situation is wisdom. And he says, if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask of God. And that's what you're doing today. You're praying. You're saying, Lord, I don't know my future, but I know who does hold my future. And Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom. 
see trials come into our life and God wants us to depend on Him, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And if you're not going to lean on your own understanding, we should come before God and ask God. You say, what kind of God is He? He gives to all men generously and without reproach and it will be given to Him. So when we come to God, He says He's going to respond. It says he, it will be given to Him. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do you believe that you could come before God and ask Him for wisdom and it will be given to you? I wonder sometimes, because I wonder how quick we are to pursue other people in the midst of a difficult circumstance. Instead of come before God and say, God, I desperately need your wisdom for my future. God, I desperately need your wisdom in this relationship. God, I desperately need your wisdom. And it says that God will respond. Isn't that the promise of the New Testament? Ask and it shall be what? Given to you, seek, and you shall what? Find, knock, and it shall be opened. See, that's the reward. It will be given to you. Now, as we come into 6 through 8, you say, Scott, is that all I have to do? I mean, in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult situations, ask God it will be given? No, no. Because I'd ask you this morning, is God like a Coke machine? Is God like a Coke machine that you could just dispense some quarters in? Out comes the Coke. Or we could say, is God like a Coke machine in prayer? You just pop in the prayer and out comes the answer? No. Look what the answer is in verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. In other words, if you're taking notes, there's a requirement when we come to God in prayer. There's a requirement. He says, you come, you ask. It's going to be given. He says, but there's a requirement when, we, when you come before the throne of God. It says, it says there in verse 6, let him ask in faith without any doubting. Now what's interesting there is it's in the present tense. So I just say that because you could translate verse 6. Let him keep asking God. Let him keep coming before God. In other words, he's saying in verse 5, if you want wisdom, ask God. And if you want your prayer answered... You must, in verse 6, keep asking in faith without any doubting. And as we come to the prayer today, faith must underline all our prayers. See, there is no acceptable prayer without faith. So we must ask the question this morning, what is faith? What is faith? Well, we could give the biblical definition, couldn't we, just a couple pages back. What is faith? He says, let him ask in faith. You say, Scott, what is faith? Well, it says in Hebrew, Hebrews 11.1, 1, doesn't it? You could turn there if you want. He gives us a condition or requirement here. He says, you've got to ask in faith. You say, what's faith? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You're hoping for something, and it's the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. It's the assurance of something hoped for that you might not see, that you're asking for, and it's the sure conviction of those things not seen. That's faith. What are you hoping for? What are you looking for? You know, and I like to give this definition of faith because it helps me remember it personally. You know what faith is? Faith is a refusal to panic. That's why I like to say what faith is. It's a refusal to panic. Are you panicking right now in your life? Are you panicking in your situation? Are you panicking in your trial? Or are you asking God? And the requirement stated is you ask in faith. You ask in faith. It even says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith it is impossible to what? 
to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. If you want to please God, it's impossible to please Him apart from faith. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Look what Jesus said about believing prayer. Look back in Matthew for a second. I like the scripture. Matthew chapter 21. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. Look what he said there. Responding to the cursing of the fig tree, Jesus said in 21, And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not, what? Doubt. They're always linked together. You shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast in the sea, it shall happen. And Jesus said in verse 22, And all things you ask in prayer, and then that word, believing, you shall receive. You ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And so as we come before the Lord this morning, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, are you? Are you believing God for what you're praying for? Look at, look at Abraham's response, okay? In Romans 4. Look at Abraham in the midst of a difficult situation. Romans chapter 4, describing the faith of Abraham, says in verse 18, it says, in hope against hope, 418, he what? Believed in order that he may become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Isn't that good? You know the promise. He was, he, they changed his name, God did, from Abram to Abraham because it meant the father of many nations. And here he was 25 years later with that name with no kids. No promise, no seed, and yet it says there in 18, he believed in God. Verse 19, without being weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was 100 years old. I mean, what would you do if your grandparents called and said they were having a kid? That would be kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, that's about the size of it here. He's just 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now watch this in 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God which he promised him, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Grew strong in faith. He didn't even waver. So James says, back in James, when you come before God and pray and ask for wisdom and ask for blessing, he says the requirement is that you must ask in faith. And, and listen, this faith here mentioned is not so much the faith that is consisting of doctrinal truth, but rather an attitude of trust and dependence on God. It's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You say, well, Scott, can we, can we trust that God? Yeah, because remember what it says in verse 5? It says he's, the, he's a giving God. That's what kind of God, that's who God is. In other words, James says in verse 5, in his very character, in his very attributes, in his very person, he is a giving God who keeps continually giving is what it means. It's present tense. God is known as a giving God and he is continually giving. You know, when I think about that, I always think of that commercial, you know, the Energizer. You know, you're always watching that commercial and you're like, what does this have to do with anything? And it's like nothing. And then out comes that dumb, what is it, a rabbit? 
You know, it keeps on going and going and going and going. And you know, there's a sense with God's character, He continually keeps giving. It's part of His nature. It's part of His character. He gives and keeps giving and continually gives. You say, does He just give to a special group of people? No, look at verse 5. He gives to who? To all men. And what I love about that is there's no partiality with God. He's not prejudiced. God's not a racist. God is not elitist. He says He gives to all men. He gives to anyone. And then it says that He gives what way in verse 5? Generously. And that means that He gives liberally. He gives unconditionally. He gives out of His heart. He gives without bargaining. God gives without any ulterior motives. He gives, it, it says there, generously. And then it says without reproach. That means when you come to God, He doesn't get angry. He doesn't rebuke you. He doesn't humiliate you. He doesn't scold you for asking something. Like some of you have maybe experienced with your dad or mom when you ask them for something and they get mad for keep asking. But God could never do that. Because He gives and He keeps giving and He gives to all men and He gives generously and He gives without reproach. In fact, the more we come, the more He gives. And obviously we're speaking there of not prosperity, but giving dependence on His person and His promise. That's what it means. It means you can trust this God. You can place your faith in this God. So listen, believing prayer ultimately rests on the character of who God is. His person, His promises. Now, what's interesting in the midst of trials, isn't it? God says in verse 6 through James, He says, let him ask in faith without any doubting. Now, if we just stop for a second there, what is being tested when you're in the midst of trials? What's being tested? What does it say in verse 3? Knowing that the what? The testing of your faith. Isn't it amazing? That the very thing that is being tested in the midst of trials is your faith. And the very thing that God is requiring of us is that we manifest faith. Interesting, isn't it? Trials come into our life, and they come into our life to rock us of our position and trust in the Lord, whether it's brought by God or allowed by God. And God says in the midst of that, your faith is being tested because I want it to be furthered and I want it to be more like Jesus Christ. And yet in the midst of that test, He's saying, I want you to come in verse 6 and ask in faith. It's amazing. So you must ask in faith. And then the text says, look down in verse 6. Not only must you ask in faith, but it says you must ask in faith without what? Doubting. Without doubting. You know what doubting means? You know what it literally means? It means a divided mind. That's what doubting means. It means you can't come before God and doubt. You can't come before God and ask in faith and yet at the same time doubt because if you doubt, literally it means to have a divided mind. And that word doubt there carries the idea of being torn in two directions. It carries the idea of oscillating back and forth between faith in God and your circumstances and your emotions. He says, you come to God, you can't doubt. You, you come to Him, you can't oscillate back and forth. You can't go in two directions. So you ask God in faith without doubting. And the problem is, is that sometimes our motives are mixed, as it says in James chapter 4. But what James is saying here is that faith and doubt cannot reside in the man at the same time. They can't. So when you come to God, 
You've got to believe in his promises. You've got to believe in the things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. See, the person who believes does not doubt. And we could also say that the person who doubts lacks faith. You say, Scott, what is the doubter like? Well, look down at verse 6. He says, for the one who doubts, what's he like? Well, it says there he's like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. James, he's a great Bible teacher, isn't he? He he gives this principle and he draws out this graphic picture here as an illustration. He says, the one who's doubting is like the surf of the sea. And the picture here is the constant unrest of the doubting soul who's looked and pictured as the sea billowing forth. And what's interesting there, I'll just point this out to you. He mentions that word surf there in verse 6. And and it's not an individual wave in the Greek. I want to know that. That word surf there in the original language means a succession of waves. So we're not talking about an individual wave. We're talking about what when you used to body surf was known as a massive what? Set. And he's saying, James is saying that the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea is like a massive set. He's getting pulled back and forth. Have you ever got caught in a riptide out in the ocean? Man, I've gotten caught in some big ones out at Zuma Beach. Because I'd go out there after, you know, high school or in high school or right after high school. Man, I was just a bum. I'd just go there three days a week and just kick it. And sometimes the waves would just be just humongous. And they came in sets and you'd get tossed to the left you get tossed to the right. Sometimes you'd get what? Sucked down. And before you know it, if you got caught in one of those riptides, you would be pulled out and the lifeguard station would be way over there. In fact, one time, it, I had a real embarrassing situation because uh, I got caught in one of those. But you know, when you're kind of 18 and stuff, you're kind of trying to be cool and being into the image. And so we'd all go take about 30 people down. and We'd go to Zuma 7. You hear that? Well, that's what was the spot. And we'd bring our chairs... And we just sit in the chair and just go body surf and come back and rest and go out and back and body surf. And so, you know, everybody would go all together from our high school, about 30 people. And one time I got caught in the set and I wore fins. And man, I was, I was like the surf of the sea, man. I was voo, voo, down, back. Man, I, I must have been way out there. And I was fine. You know, if you get in a riptide, the key is not to panic, right? You're not supposed to panic when you get in one. You don't even really supposed to battle it. In fact, that's how you get so tired if you're kicking, kicking, kicking. And then you realize you're about 50 feet further than where you were. So you just kind of ride it out. And when it moves on, you swim back in. Well, the lifeguard saw me. And so the lifeguard comes out to get me. And, you know, you're kind of in the image. You know, you don't want to have like a lifeguard come get you, right? (laughs) So... My buddies were all made it in. They got out of it. I just got stuck right in the center of it. And the lifeguard comes out. She comes out. <laughs> and dude, I was just faced. She comes out with that big red, what is it, like buoy or... I don't even know what it is. You know the ones they put on their back? And, and she comes out. She goes, grab onto this. And I'm like, that's all right. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm Okay. She goes, no, grab onto it. I said, look, I'm fine. And I pull, I, I was fine. And she, but evidently when they come out to get you, they have to what? Bring you back in. So she made me grab on that and she's swimming me back in. I'm kind of holding the thing and then I got out of the riptide, I'm backpedaling in. And you know, sometimes after you get in out of a massive set, you're extremely tired. 
just kind of drag up on shore. Well, that's kind of what happened. I was battling. I was dragging up because I was paddling to stay in this thing. And, and I, and I kind of drag up and here she is kind of, I'm holding on to this thing and I look up and there's 30 friends on the ground. They're just like, oh, you know. I was just faced. But that's what James is talking about, isn't he? He says, you get caught. He says, the one who doubts when you come to God is like the surf of the sea. You say, what's the surf of the sea like? It's driven, it's tossed, and it's tossed back and forth by the wind. And you say, what's the picture here? James is simply saying, this is the man or woman who comes to God and doesn't come to God in faith, but doubts. He says that person is a graphic illustration of somebody who's driven and tossed back and forth. And it kind of pictures the person who is unstable, insecure, and unsteady as it relates to their God and as it relates to their future. Look what James says in verse 7. He says, let not, and it might be that he's talking about somebody. He says, let not that man, and and it's emphatic, expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Boy, that's graphic. Let not that person, if you're doubting this morning, expect that you will receive anything. See, God isn't just like a Coke machine. You can't just come before Him in prayer. The requirement is you come before Him in prayer and you ask in faith. And if your prayers are mixed with doubt, you're going to be driven there, tossed here by the wind back and forth and unstable and unsteady and insecure. Christian afflicted by doubt is taken to the next step. So it doesn't stop there. It's taken to the next step because look what it says in verse 8. It says, he, being a double-minded man, is unstable in all his ways. See, the person who doubts when they come to God in prayer is not only driven and tossed and carried back and forth, and I think it's fair to say that even the language is bringing out that this person is tossed to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, up and down, side, always. But he's not just unsteady and insecure. It says that he's a double-minded man and he's unstable in all his ways. See, and the failure is not on God's part because he's giving, he's giving generously to all men without reproach. The failure is on our part. And so James says the man or woman who doubts is is like the person who's on an unsettled, billowing, uh, failing wave, or they have faith that's doubting. It's a graphic picture. You know, it mentions that word there in verse 8, double-minded. You know what it literally means in the Greek? It means two-souled. Two-souled. I think it's the word dipsuko, and it just means two-souled. And it describes the doubter's attitude. In fact, some people translate double-minded, they just translate it double-faced. Double-faced. Some people translate the word double hearts, but I think you understand it. It's saying the man who doubts or the woman who doubts is two-souled, is double-faced, is double hearts, is two-souled. You might even say they have two personalities within them. You say, what are those personalities? Well, one is turned Godward and the other one is turned, turned toward the world and the flesh. One is trusting God and leaning not on his own understanding, and yet the other part of the soul is not trusting him and not acknowledging him all his ways. Are you two-souled? Are you double-heart? Are you double-faced even this morning between what you're facing as you look in the future? God gives us some incredible promises here. 
See, one has turned Godward, the other towards the world. One believes God, loves God, trusts God. The other disbelieves God and doubts His provision. Are you doubting God? Am I doubting God? You know what Barclay said about the person who's double-minded or two-souled? He said this, Barclay, the commentator, he said, This person is a walking civil war in which trust and distrust of God wage a continual battle against each other. Is that good? The, the person who's double-minded is in a civil war in which trust and distrust of God wage a continual battle against each other. In John Bunyan's great book, The Pilgrim's Progress, you know what he described the man as? As double-minded or the man who is double-minded? He called him Mr. Facing Both Ways. That's good, isn't it? Mr. Facing Both Ways. And as we come to the day of prayer, and as you pray over Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, are you trusting the Lord with all your heart? Are you not leaning on your own understanding and coming before Him in prayer? In all your ways, are you acknowledging Him? See, doubting is fatal to effective prayer. So the person who is double-minded reveals himself even further. Look down at verse 8. It's graphic. I mean, he's carried about... He's tossed like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He won't receive anything from the Lord because he's two-souled, two-faced. He's Mr. Faith, facing both ways. But look what it says in, at the end of verse 8. It says that he's unstable in all his ways. This is fascinating. It says in the text there that he's unstable in all his ways. You say, what does it mean to be unstable? You understand that. It, it describes shifting sand. It describes someone who doesn't have a foundation. It describes someone who is wobbly. Weren't there weevils? Yeah, those when you're little. The weevils wobble, but they don't fall down, right? I mean, this is this is somebody who's wobbly, somebody who's unsettled, somebody who's not at risk. So the person who's two-souled or Mister Facing both ways is unstable, and then it says he's unstable in his ways. Now that's an interesting word. Their ways. It just means a continual course of action. The ideal here is that the man or woman who doubts God is not just unsettled as it relates to prayer, but he's unstable and unsteady and restless in all of his ways. In other words, his whole course of life, his every step is unsettled because he's not or she's not trusting God. And then it doesn't just say he's unstable in his, in his ways. It says he's unstable. Watch this. What's that other word there? All his ways. All his ways. In other words, it's not only a lack of prayer by faith that is lacking, but every facet of a man or woman's life will be unstable. See, the lack of wisdom through prayer in verse 5 is simply an indicator of a man's character in total. See, the doubting, vacillating, not oscillating shows itself in every area of life. In other words, what James is saying that a man or woman who doubts his whole life is affected to the point where he might finally lose it all and live in sin. See, the requirement stated is let him ask, let him ask of God without any doubting. Let me ask you again this morning. What are you trusting God for? You know, it's amazing. I was just thinking here because I'm even facing some stuff this week in my life. I was thinking how good God has been to me. I was thinking when I sat where you were, a few years back, when I, right before I graduated from here in May, like many of you will. And, I, and as I was thinking back then, I thought, boy, I was at the midst of a very funny time as I look back now. 
I, I, was, I was in between a relationship with a woman who is now my wife. We were on the rocks. You ever been on the rocks in a relationship? That's why when people come to me and ask me if there's faith in a relationship, all I know is if Patty and I made it through, we could just never get it straight. I met her, I was 20, she was 18. I was playing basketball here, she was out CSUN. We could just never fully match up. You know what I mean? I'd like her, then she wouldn't like me, she'd like me, then I wouldn't be ready, then I'd get ready, and she wouldn't be ready. I'd, okay, you know, and I, it was just, that's where I was. As I was facing graduating, you know, she'd like me, then I'd put the ice cube and give her the cold shoulder, and then I'd come around and I'd like her. You know, and I'd just say, if, there's, if we made it, I think there's hope for a lot of people. You know, and we were young. I was a knucklehead. But I, but I was there. I was on my way to seminary. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. And now as I look back years later, I'm so thankful for God. God uh, has given me a wonderful wife. He's given me three beautiful kids. I mean, to her continual joy. The other day, I was, I was telling some people on Wednesday night, I was eating a sandwich right before I went to a Bible study. And my little boy, he's 20 months, I, I sneezed. And he said, bless you, Daddy. And, you know, it's just, they're just so fun. They're just so fun. And God is just so good to us. You know, I come out this morning, and he's up. He's always up. And, you know, I don't have to tell Kyle how to be a boy. He's just a boy. I mean, he just loves balls and he, uh, super balls, every golf balls. Look, Daddy, look, Daddy, see, Daddy, you know, and he's just hilarious. And what is Christine like? Christine likes dolls. She must have about 10 dolls. And um, God's blessed me so much. And then he brought me through seminary. And then I didn't know where I was going. And I was allowed to travel on the road with Suki Steve Miracle for a whole year. And Mike and Donnell Robert. Somebody said Suki. That was just a nickname we had for him. You can start calling him Suki Miracle. And, um, and then I wasn't sure what was going to happen at that. And then God blessed and led me to the church. And you know what I was thinking? I was thinking how good God has been to me when I look back. And yet as I look forward, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? And as you sit here this morning, you have been blessed so much, haven't you? And, and you look back in your life and you say, God has been so good to you. And let me ask, as I was worshiping the Lord this morning, is He not going to be good to us as we look to the future and come before His face? I mean, with all that He's done in your life and in my life, can we not trust Him and come to God in faith based on all of His promises and based on His character and based on all that He's done for our life? I mean, if He's been so good to us up to this point, why would we doubt His hand? Why would we doubt His provision? Why would we come before Him and not ask in faith but have doubted? It's just, we're, we're just like the disciples of Jesus, aren't we? When Jesus kept saying to them, O ye of little what? Faith. And sometimes we're just like Peter, aren't we? You say, what story? Remember the story where he was walking on the water? Dude, can you imagine that? And he's just, he got out of the boat and was walking on water. And you say, yeah, Scott, but he sunk. But I'll show you 11 other guys still in the boat, right? So he's out walking on the water. And he's looking at Jesus, right? And he's walking on the water. And then what happened? He began to look at what was going on around him. Well, what was going on around him? Begin to see the surf. Begin to realize he was walking on the water. Begin to realize, I can't do this. And who did he take his eyes off? Jesus. And he started to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. It's a picture of us sometimes. When we have our eyes fixed on Christ and fixed on his promises and his character, and we see him, we trust him. But when we take our eyes off Him and start doubting Him and doubting His character and doubting His promises, we begin to sink, sink like Peter, don't we? And then we, we get caught up on all this stuff and the thing we lose is our joy. You know, we lose all of our joy. And you know why we lose our joy? Probably if we really think about it, we lose our joy because in the midst of those trials and circumstances, we say, God, what are you doing to me? God, this isn't my plan. 
Gosh, I remember when I played basketball here, even as an athlete, you know, I, I came out of a, a junior college. And, you know, I just look back and think, man, I just was an arrogant kid sometimes. You know, I came out and I thought, you know, they promised me this. And I had a, a difficult time battling one other guard for the starting position. And man, I just, I wasn't trusting God. I, I was just, oh man, I got to start, you know. I wouldn't have come here. I would have gone to those other schools, right? You know, and you start, and I just look back and I just think how little I trust God. And you know, it's little things that can knock you off, isn't it? It's something somebody can say to you, isn't it? See, you say, what's at stake in trials? It's your faith. You say, is that only when it relates to being on the mission field or when you're sharing your faith and you're suffering? No. Trials is anything that causes you and me to stop trusting in God. And it could be something somebody says. It could be something a roommate says to you. It could be something your mom says to you. It could be something your dad, a teacher says to you. And it just knocks you off. I used to have a buddy. You know some of those guys that just bug you? They're just like... Uh, People who bug you, and I had a friend like this, he was a good guy, but he just like did stuff, like you'd be, you'd be like swimming in the, we'd be body surfing, and he'd just take his hand and just start throwing water in your face. Not like splashing hard, just looping it on you. Just for about 10 minutes in a row until you go over and hit him, you know. And sometimes you'd be standing there, you know, talking with somebody, somebody, and he'd come up to you and push you in the shoulder and like knock you off balance. That's how he was, and I think, you know what, trials come into our life. And they nudge us in the shoulder and they knock us off balance. And do we come back and trust God? Listen, if God's not in control, we've got to ask ourselves, do we believe Romans 8.28? God causes all things to work together for the what? For the good. Do you believe or do you just believe only some things? See, do we really believe God is causing everything that is happening in your life, happening in my life, to work together for the good? See, if we get frustrated, if we don't let endurance have its perfect result, then we're saying that we have a better plan than God. And who are we ultimately doubting when we don't come to God and trust? We're doubting God's character. We're doubting God's provision. Yes, God, I know you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross today, nearly 2,000 years ago. And I know he redeemed me from my sin. I just don't know if I could trust him in the future. See, I'm saying as we come to the day of prayer, and, and you know what's interesting here... In James 1.8, the double-minded man is unstable in what? All his ways. And it's interesting that the promise and the, and the commitment of Proverbs is in all your ways what? Acknowledge Him. And as we come before the Lord and trust in Him with our entire what? Being. And we're not leaning on our own understanding, so we're coming to God and saying, if we lack wisdom, let Him what? Ask of God. We're asking God. And then we come before Him in all our ways we acknowledge Him. What's the promise? He will make our past what? straight. See, what a beautiful promise. Unlike the double-minded, two-souled, two-faced, double-hearted person who doubts God is the picture of Proverbs of the person who's acknowledging God in all of his or her ways, and God will make the past straight. Isn't that a great promise? That means as we look to the future, I include myself in that, as we look to the future, we can trust God, can't we? See, because if, if, if we love God, and we're walking with Him, and we're putting our hand in His hand and holding on to Him, that's trust, isn't it? See, but we we, we got to be people who live by faith, not by what? Sight. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And by men of all, they gained approval. And without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. As you sit here this morning, are you trusting God for your summer? You say, Scott, I don't know if I can come back to school next year. You, you don't have to worry, do you? You can say, God, what an incredible privilege. I'm going to count it sheer, utter joy that I don't have the finances. But God might raise that up. And if He doesn't, maybe He has another plan for us. You know, I always think that. I always think that. I mean, if I was praying about a situation in my life right now, and I was praying um, about this church, and I'm like, Lord, if, if you don't want this to happen, then you shut the door. 
Because, Lord, I don't want to be where you want me. I don't want to be where you don't want me to be. I only want to be right in the center of your will because I know your plan is better than my plan. And as I look back, I couldn't have drawn up a better plan and God's been so good. And I know as you sit here even this morning, not knowing what's going on in your life, for you to sit here at the Master's College has been an incredible privilege for you. God's blessed you just to be here. So as you move on in the day of prayer, you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You've been so good. Thanks for the promise today. Lord, you've called us to pray, but here this morning you've directed our attention to the promise in James 1.8 and really the requirement here that if we come before you, we need to ask in faith without any doubting. Father, we can't be double-minded. And Lord, I would just say, Lord, I believe, but increase our faith. Lord, I, I love the, the thought of Paul or of Abraham in Romans where it says that he grew strong in his faith. And Lord, it's interesting that it says there that he grew strong in his faith. He grew in it. He did not waver in unbelief. And Father, I pray that we would not waver in unbelief. And as you sit here this morning, you just talk to the Lord a little bit now. Talk to him. What are you trusting him for? Would you acknowledge your ways to Him? Ask Him to give you wisdom. And maybe you've been doubting, and maybe the Spirit of God is doing a work in your heart right now. Confess that sin. I don't, I don't want to come and necessarily make you feel guilty. Because 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've sinned, if you've not trusted His character, if you've been doubting, if you've not had an attitude of joy, if you've not even had any endurance and you've sought to, not to move through the trial, but get away from the trial by discarding people in your life or discarding authority in your life, that God has put it, confess those things. What do you trust in God for? As it relates to your future, as it relates to your relationship, your career, your future mate, maybe. You trust in God? Can you even thank God? You say, Scott, you don't know what it's happening on my lot. No, it says consider it all joy. Can you thank God for even what He's brought in your life this semester? Father, what a privilege we have. That God, it's amazing that in verse 3, you test our faith to produce perseverance in our life. And yet the very thing you're testing is the very thing that you're asking of us when we come in prayer to ask in faith. Father, I pray that we would be a people who even ask you. I think, Father, that's what convicts me sometimes. I think sometimes I believe you, but then sometimes I wonder what I'm really asking for. I wonder if I'm really praying for people to come to know the Lord and really praying for godly character to be part of my life. Help us be a people we, that ask. James says that we have not because we ask not. And when we do ask, sometimes we will ask with wrong motives. Father, I just pray that you purify our hearts, that you'd cause us to be a people who trust in your name, who trust in your character, 
Father, I thank you for such a day as this, a day of prayer. And Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who we worship this day as one who is lifted up on our behalf. He became a curse on a tree for us, and we deserve that death, and yet He took it for us. And Lord, we're humbled by that. And He lives even now to intercede for us, and we're thankful for that. God, I pray that we'd be a people who pray. And not just a people who pray, but a people who pray and ask in faith without any doubting. Father, I pray that You would teach us more about Your person, more about Your character, so that we would be a man like Abraham who grew strong in his faith and did not waver in unbelief. Father, forgive us where we doubt You with all Your kindness to us. And Father, I thank You for Your everlasting love to us. I think of even the disciples who even at the very end were out fishing even after the resurrection and You restored them. And Father, I know You want to make us into a man or woman who puts our whole heart and trust in You. I think that song says it best, O Lord, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Father, we say thanks in your name. Amen. Dave, come on up.